You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Let's have this critical analysis of the numbers of the men who were killed. You will see various historical reports that have claimed all the men were arrested and then killed in Medina. Some reports claim 1,000 men from the Jewish tribe of Banu Quraidah were killed. Some reports state 900 some say 800, some say 700, some say 600 and some say 400. So the historical reports say somewhere between 400 to 1000 were killed. Most reports say 700 to 900, that's a big number, that's why it's called the massacre of Banu Quraidah historically. Ibn Ishaq, the famous historian, he narrates the following, he states that the Prophet had them surrender, and they took them to Medina, they put them in the house of Bint al-Harith, the daughter of al-Harith, she was a woman from the tribe of Banu Najjar, they locked them up in her house and then the Prophet went to the market and he had a huge trench dug and then he told his companions, go bring these Jews, the 700, 900, 1000 and then he had their necks struck their heads were basically severed and then they were thrown into, into that big ditch. This is one report that Ibn Ishaq narrates and he says when we are saying the men, all those who reached puberty, basically they would bring the boys, they had someone physically inspect them, if they showed signs of puberty, they were killed. This is the mainstream depiction of what happened to Bani Quraidah. Do we accept this narrative over here? No. Why? Seven or eight objections that we have. That leads us to believe this is not exactly what happened, a lot of exaggerations happened. I will share them with you and then let me know how you feel about them. The first objection that we have, some scholars have cast doubts on this alleged incident by stating that the chain of transmission, the senad of these hadiths is weak. Shia sources that narrate it and Sunni sources. The Shia hadiths, some scholars have said, they, the chain either goes back to some known liars or to anonymous narrators. It's a mursal hadith with a broken chain. So for instance, when you look at the book Qurb al-Isnad by Al-Hamiyari, which is one of the sources that documents this massacre, the chain goes to Abu al-Bukhturi, his name is Wahab ibn Wahab. Abu al-Bukhturi was known to be a liar, why should I trust his version when he's known to be a liar? Let's look at the chain that is narrated in the book of Al-Amali, it goes back to anonymous narrators, we don't know them. Let's look at the book of Al-Irshad by Al-Mufid. We see that it's Mursa, we don't even have a chain and it has been narrated. Well, who narrated it? 
even in Tafsir al-Qummi, when he narrates this incident, he does not attribute it to any Imam. And it has been narrated. Well, you are coming two centuries after this incident. Who's your source? So do we have a reliable source who said 900 Jews got killed like that? No, we don't. This is our Shia hadith. As for Sunni hadith, all their chains of transmission also have a problem. And interestingly, some of those chains go back to members of Banu Quraidah, their descendants. Later Jews, they narrated this. We have reason to believe they exaggerated to seek the sympathy of others. Oh, our ancestors were massacred by the Prophet. So honestly, we don't have a verifiable source, a credible source with reliable narrators who have narrated the massacre of the Jews of Bani Quraidah. That itself, some scholars have mentioned, makes us doubt the incident. Why should we accept all these details when we don't have any sahih hadith to verify that? Assalamu alaikum. That's the first objection from a Senate perspective. Let's now examine the content. The second objection, how is it that all these 700 to, to 1,000 Jewish men just surrendered like sheep after the ruling and the sentence of Sa'd ibn Ma'ad? Why would you surrender like that? At, when you heard the death sentence of Sa'd, at least put a fight, die in honor. This really makes us doubt that they were taken, 900 of them. The whole population of Medina at that time was 2,000. The men were 1,000. And now you have 900 Jewish men, they're taken like sheep, and they know they're going to be killed when the sentence reached to them. And they're like, yeah, let's just be killed. Like who does that? If you're going to be killed, at least die in honor. At least fight, do something, struggle, run away. <laughs> it's very unlikely that this huge number of Jewish men would just surrender like that. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very unlikely. This is a, a second reason why we doubt this massacre. Third objection. These narrations, these historical reports state that the boys were inspected to see if they reached puberty. All those who reached puberty, they were beheaded. This is also objectionable because a young boy at the age of 13, 14, 15, who just reached puberty, what does he know to be held responsible for treason? Did all those boys who were killed commit treason? They conspired? Did they really have a choice? Were they did they have a role in making some decisions here? Islam does not kill people who are innocent or did not play a role in treason. It's very unlikely that those boys made decisions for themselves and willfully committed treason. Why did they get killed? Is that really fair? And in addition to that, Islam teaches us that the elderly, the old ones, they should not be killed. Even after a battle, the Prophet ﷺ, before he would dispatch the Muslim soldiers to go to a battle, he would tell them that after the battle is over, any old men that you see there, women and children of course, but old men, don't kill them. Don't kill them, even if it was a bloody battle. After the battle's over, don't kill any old man. This is the law of Islam. When you have 900 men, all the men, we're confident that some of them were old people. What, the Jews didn't have any old people? According to these narrations, they were also massacred. Why didn't the Prophet make an exception for them? 
because in his law he would make an exception for old people. So after the battle was over, they arrested them, those old men should have been freed. So if you had 900 people as they claim, deaf, which is basically all the men, we know for sure that there must have been old people, but we don't see any historical report making an exception for those old people. This goes against the law of the Prophet and we know the Prophet wouldn't do that. So what justifies killing those boys or the elderly? When Allah states in Surah An-Najm verse 38, وَلَا You're not accountable for the sins that others commit. If the leaders of Bani Qurayla committed treason, why do the boys have to pay the price by being killed? That's not fair. Especially when you consider what the Prophet commented on the death sentence of Sa'd ibn Ma'ad. When Sa'd ibn Ma'ad passed his death, death sentence, the Prophet supposedly said, حَكَمْتَ فِيهِمْ بِحُكْمِ اللَّهِ مِنْ فَوْقِ سَبْعِ سَمَاوَاتِ أو مِنْ فَوْقِ سَبْعِ أَرْقَعَةِ The Prophet told him, O oh, Sa'd, this sentence that you passed, this is the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over the seven heavens. The law of God is to have boys killed who are not responsible for anything. This really makes us doubt this incident. The fifth objection. These narrations indicate that when these men were arrested, they were taken to the house of Bint al-Harith, a woman from Banu Najjar. Given what we know about houses in Medina in 7th, 8th century Arabia, how is it possible that 800, 900, 1,000 men fit in one house? What kind of a house is that? These days, do you guys know of a house here in, in Dearborn Heights that fits 1,000 people? What is this, a banquet hall? Seriously, what kind of house in Medina you could lock up 1,000 people in? Especially when we know the people of Medina in early Islam, they were poor. They were not rich. Houses were very small during the time of the Prophet For most companions, the average house, entire house was smaller than this room that we're in right now. So, so where did they take a thousand people? What kind of a house fits a thousand people? Now Ibn Hisham, his version is a little bit different. He says that the men were placed in the house of Osama ibn Zayd. And the woman and the children were placed in the house of Bint al-Harith, that lady. Osama ibn Zayd, we know he was not rich and in fact he was relatively poor. How big was his house according to Ibn Hisham's story for those 900 Jews to be placed in his house? It doesn't add up. It's very unlikely there was a house in Medina belonging to him or Bint al-Harith that could house 900 Jews, it's just not possible, yes. Very young, Usama was probably a teenager, maybe 16, 15. So he was young, he was not known to be rich. So exactly, what kind of property did Usama ibn Zayd have at that time? According to Ibn Hisham's narrative. Okay, he had a small house, fine, he had a house. But we can assume that it was a small house just like the other companions of the Prophet. Their homes were basically rooms. So if we go by Ibn Hisham's version that the men were taken to his house, I can't conceptualize and visualize how 900 Jews can fit there. This tells you there's something wrong with these reports, it just does not add up. 
And then the narration reports that when, when they were beheaded, a big ditch was created, was dug in the market of Medina. They were thrown in that ditch and, and then they were buried. We don't have any historical reference to that ditch. If 900 people got killed in one day, right? That's almost like a third of your population of the city of Medina. That must have been, that must have been a huge deal. Where is that ditch? It should have been a historical site where people would remember it. No, we don't have a trace of it. So this also casts doubt on the widespread version of the story. Sixth objection. These narrations report that the number of the women and children from the tribe of Banu Quraidha were 750. How many? 750. And they were put in a different house before being enslaved. When you have 750 women and children, naturally, how many men would you have? Less or more? Less. Why? See, if you have families with the men, women, and children, if the women and the children combined are 750, naturally, what should the number of men be? At least half of that. At least. Because some, some families have two children, three children, four children, five children. Naturally speaking, the number of, them, of the men should not exceed 300. More realistically speaking, 100, 200. You have 100, 200 men, 100, 200 women, and the rest are children. Very natural. But for you to have a thousand Jewish men and 750 women and children, it doesn't add up. Why are the men significantly more than the women and the children combined? What's going on? Especially during those times when families had a lot of children and a man would marry a number of wives. So the fact that these reports admit the women and children are 750, this makes us doubt that the men were even 900 to begin with. That's another reason why we doubt these reports. The seventh objection. You would think that if 900 people were massacred like that, this would have been the biggest massacre, killing in the history of Islam. Uhud, the, one of the most important battles. How many people were killed? Do you have a count? Let's start with Badr. Badr, how many people were killed from the mushrikeen? From the Muslims, just a few. From the, from the mushrikeen, 70. Half of them by Imam Ali alayhi salam. 70 during those times was a huge deal. It warranted tens of verses to be revealed in the Quran. Same with Uhud. 70 of the Muslims were killed. It was a huge deal. Now you're telling me 900 people were killed by the authorization of the Prophet. And just one brief verse comes in the Holy Quran, which I read in Surah Al-Ahzab, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you victory over those people from the book, Ahl al-Kitab, meaning the Jews. Allah made them come out from their fortresses. You killed some of them and you enslaved another. Does this Quranic tone, you enslaved some and you killed some, indicate in any way that there were 900 people killed? No. From the tone of the Quran, it's very unlikely you had such a high death toll. If there was such a high death toll, you'd think the Quran would have elaborated further, at least more verses about this. There's only one verse about Banu Quraidah in Surah Al-Ahzab, which is very brief. 
This gives us more confidence that the number that was killed was much less and not that significant historically when, when you compare it to these narrations. So then if we reject these reports, we do know some were killed. So who got killed and how many? Well, we have historical accounts that state Sa'd ibn Ma'ath, when he passed the death sentence on them, he stipulated the following, أَنْ يُقْتَلَ مَنْ حَزَّبَ مِنْهُمْ In Arabic, what does it mean to say حَزَّبَ عَلَيْهِ? حَزَّبَ عَلَيْهِ basically means to mobilize, to actively commit treason and to support against the enemy. There are historical reports that state Sa'd said, not all the men get killed. Those who played a role in the treason, those who mobilized. Obviously, when you have 500 men, 700 men, only the leaders are those who mobilize. The others just go with the flow. Haven't you seen that? When you have a fort, you have a village, and there is an important decision to be made. You think everybody makes the decision? People don't even know. Let our chiefs make the decision and we don't even know what's going on. Naturally, that's what, would you, what would you would expect. The chiefs of Banu Quraidah are the ones who mobilized and instigated and committed active treason. The others, they were just going with, with their leaders. So we have another narration from Sa'd ibn Mu'ad. This one is narrated in Sahih Muslim and Sunni scholars you know, have graded this hadith as a Sahih hadith. Sa'd ibn Ma'ath stated, قَالَ تُقْتَلُوا مُقَاتِلَتُهُمْ مُقَاتِلَ means they're active fighters, those who killed. They are the ones to be killed in my death sentence, not everyone. And the woman and the children, they will be enslaved. So we find that Sa'd ibn Ma'ad, according to these reports, did not say all the men should be killed or these young boys, only those who fought. Did some of them fight? Yes, we have historical reports that some of them actually tried to fight the Muslims. Imam Ali responded to them according to some reports, Imam Ali killed 10 of them at the fort because they tried to kill the Muslims. So there were fighters. Sa'd said the fighters have to go. They committed treason and they're trying to fight us. They have to go. Therefore, it is very likely that we accept these reports that state Sa'd said their chiefs should be killed. Naturally, naturally, if we want to estimate how many they were, many of our scholars have said 40. Some say maximum, maximum 100. We cannot conceive of their chiefs to be more than 100. So when you do the historical analysis, many of our scholars are confident that during the battle of Banu Quraiba, 40 of their men were killed because they were the chiefs, the leaders, who instigated and they were the ones who actively fought. By the way, a number of the Jews of Bani Quraidah, they came to the Prophet, they became Muslim. They told him, we surrender, we become Muslim. The Prophet gave them am amnesty. So we know for sure the Prophet didn't kill all the men. It just does not add up. 